Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 6. John. You remember the coon hunting story? Knock him out, John. Well, I got to tell you, yesterday I felt like John. Just shoot up here amongst us. One of us got to have some relief. Thank God it's over. Meanwhile, back in eternity. I want to read the passage that I preached on last week because it, it lays the necessary foundation. Christ, as the day came to a close, having taught the multitude which according to Matthew, must have numbered 20,000 or more, then fed them 5,000 men plus the women and children. That late afternoon stretched on into evening. Christ separated himself from his disciples as darkness was falling and told them to get in the boat, go back. He went to the mountain having left the word that he would join them. Capernaum, his headquarters. The crowd was watching every step. They somehow lost sight of Christ as he went into the mountain to pray. The crowd noted that only his disciples got into the boat. There was only one boat there at that time. So Christ must be around there somewhere because they were going to need breakfast the next morning, just like he gave them supper that night. Now, the storm came. Mark says Christ was watching them from his high vantage point. They were afraid in the boat. And Christ came to them, walking the sea. The disciples were frightened, thinking it was a ghost. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, it is I. Peter responded, if it's you, bid me come to you. So Peter got out of the boat, started out well, but he began to sink and Christ lifted him up. They got into the boat, Christ stilled the storm and immediately the boat was on the shore, which was a miracle in itself. It just was transported to the shore. Now the people were noting these things and so the word got out, boats were coming from everywhere and they picked up the people who had been fed by the multitude, thousands of people in these boats chasing after Jesus, wherever he was. Now let's look at this. On the next day, the crowd stood on the other side of the sea, seeing that only 
one other boat was there and that Jesus did not go with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples went away alone. Then other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Therefore, when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they entered into the boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And having found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here or how did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were satisfied, physically satisfied. You were satisfied. It made you happy for the moment. And so, so often people think that Jesus needs to be handy for every moment they think they have a need. These are, these are temporal things. Of course, Christ came to satisfy our eternal need. Do not work for food that is perishing, but for the food enduring unto eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for God the Father has sealed him. Therefore they said to him, what must we do that we may be doing the works of God? They wanted this power. You either stay with us and feed us all the time when we need it, or give us this power. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. They're wanting the works of God, thinking that the works of God was to miraculously provide food or whatever, whenever they needed it. This is the work of God, that you should believe in him whom he has sent. Faith is the work of God. If in your life you have come to Christ, you came to Christ not as a work of your own, but as the work of God. We'll talk a lot about that today. That you should believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what do you do as a sign that we may see? Now I want to play on the word here, that we may see. Idomen. It means to see something. Hey, there's something, okay? It means just to see something. And may believe on you. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're comparing Jesus to Moses. Moses fed millions over a period of 40 years and Christ fed this much smaller multitude just on that afternoon, that evening. Therefore, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Moses has not given you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now, what we're going to see that Jesus is teaching the people is that what happens through the Lord Christ is divine. It is not human. Our salvation is divine. It is not human. It is divine in its origin. It is not human in its origin. So you can't be saved in and of yourself. God saves you. And not just in a happenstance sort of way. God saves us by a carefully designed plan 
that is an eternal plan. We're going to see that as we go. For the bread of God is the one coming down out of heaven and giving life to the cosmos. Therefore they said to him, sir, always give this bread to us. They're still disconnected on this thing. All they want is breakfast. They had a nice, remember, they had a nice supper and they were filled to satisfaction. Now they want the same thing for breakfast. Okay, that's as far as we got last time. But we play on the word, first of all, the word to see, because we're going to see different words. Now, why do I play on the Greek so much? Well, here's why. When the apostles were inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, to give to us the New Testament, it was given to us in the Koine Greek. So the word in itself being infallible in its original content, that means that you can't guess about what the Greek text says. That it's, that's the way it is. That's the way God gave it. That's the way the apostles wrote it in the New Testament. Same thing with the classic Hebrew in the Old Testament. And these are not, these are frozen languages. They're not active languages in the sense that Koine Greek is not modern Greek. Koine Greek is different. It's a different Greek. Classic Hebrew is not modern Hebrew. So being frozen in time, the meanings never change. And to play, to, to extract from the original text is, in my view, extraordinarily important if we're to understand the meaning of the text because it always applies to us. And here, this text today applies to our salvation. There's nothing more important to you or to me than salvation, to be saved by the will and purpose of God. So now we're going, we're going to go on. This lays the background. It all has to do, remember, with feeding the multitude, the loaves and the fish, feeding the multitude, talking about bread, the people wanting physical bread, and Jesus takes this to give them this great teaching. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. There are seven I am's in John's gospel. This is the first. I am the bread of life. The one coming to me shall never hunger. They, what do they say? Sir, always give us this bread. Always be there for a free meal. Always give to us that which we physically right now in a, temper, in a contemporaneous sense. What we want right now, give it to us. You are our genie in a bottle. Christ, you got it all wrong. I am the bread of life. The one coming to me shall never hunger. Ercomenos. Very important. Stay with me, please, would you? Here, here we go. Coming. It's a participle. But it's in what's called a present passive, and Greek scholars call that a divine passive. When it's in the passive, it means that the subject acts, the subject is being acted upon from another, not from within himself. If it was active, it would be the subject doing the work. But here, the one coming is being acted on. He can't do that on his own. 
The one, so that's what the, that's what the passive means. It means he can't, he can't in and of himself come to Christ. There has to be a divine action upon him and within him. We call this conviction of sin. We, we, we call this the drawing power or, or the call of God. You can't be saved unless God calls you. If God doesn't call you, you'll never be saved. Now we'll talk about that, all right? The one coming to me shall never hunger. And the one believing in me shall never, ever thirst. But I also said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. And that's a different word. You see that up there? Hiragate. It's a different word from what we saw just a minute ago. It's a different word. They said, we saw you. Jesus said, no, you only passively stared at me. You were like a deer in headlights. Because what you thought you needed was to get to the other side of the road because you thought there would be more berries to eat over there. Jesus, you remember back in John several chapters, Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew the heart of men. So these people are not really believing on him. They believe in his works because they participated in it. But Jesus said, no, you have only passively stared at me, but you do not believe. Jesus knew their hearts. He knows my heart, knows your heart. He knows whether or not you believe in him. You have only passively stared but you do not believe. We're getting down now to the, the crux of the matter of salvation. Your salvation, if you are in Christ. My sa now let me tell you this. You know that it's my calling to preach through and teach an entire book of the Bible and just go from chapter one, verse one, until I get through with it. And I've been doing that for more than 40 years. Let me say that there are times, and I don't leave out a thing. I don't conveniently avoid anything. I don't dodge it. A lot of people want to dodge a lot of preachers. God bless them. I can't answer for them. But there are a lot of passages that are dodged in the New Testament, especially. You know, I mean, let's just face it. The word election, that's a Bible word. It's in the Bible. So when I, or even, even how to give, how to give money to the church, you know, I don't, I don't like to bear down on that a lot, but when I come to a portion of the scriptures that deals with stewardship. I have to preach it because there it is. Who am I to take parts and not the whole of the scripture? So we're going to look at something here that not everybody, for I don't know why, that not everybody wants to look at. But we have to look at it because it's in the Bible. Now, you don't start out believing these things because you're babes in Christ. I'm, I, I was a babe in Christ. And so the things that we're going to look at, really, if I may say it this way, 
is not Christianity 101. This is like postdoctoral fellowship, okay? But if we couldn't grasp it and we couldn't understand it, why would God be so cruel as to put it in his word? Here's the thing. Everything about God is not to glorify you or me. There's nothing here that's supposed to glorify the human race. It is to glorify God. So when I study the Bible, I have to look at it from the viewpoint that God is being glorified. Even in the things that are difficult and hard and almost seem cruel. If I will take the whole thing, then I will look back and I will say, you know, God was glorified. God glorifies himself. So this is all to the glory of God here when we study this part. And it comes no less than from the lips of Christ himself. So here we go. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one coming to me, there's that divine passive again. You can't come unless you're drawn, unless you're called. Romans chapter 8. I wrote a book. It's called Eternal Salvation on these verses from verse 28 on down to verse 30 and 31. All things, Romans 8, beginning in verse 28, all things work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Now, here comes the part that a lot of people would prefer to dodge. And those whom he foreknew, he predestined. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Paul continues, who then shall bring a charge against God's elect? All that the Father gives to me. This has to do with what is called the eternal covenant. I'm not worthy to try to summarize it, but I'm the one up here and I'll try. Before there was a star, before there was a universe, before there was an angel's wing, there was God. Progressively, he teaches us more about himself as much as we can contain. 
and he is God expressing himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father loves the Son. With God's love. I cannot enter into the depth of the emotion of love that comes from the Father and extends to His Son. But if I may summarize several passages of Scripture, the eternal covenant goes like this From before time, in the realm of God that only God knows. The Father would declare to the Son, out of my love, I will give you an adoring people who shall be my elect from all of people. And they will be your gift completely. And I will give you a book that has every one of their names in it. And they will be yours forever. And they will respond to our love by their love. Now remember what Romans says, whom he foreknew. God knew that those chosen and given as a present, a gift to his son, though they be countless as the stars and unnumbered as the sands of the sea, he knew They would fall in the transgression of Adam. The Spirit enters into the covenant. According to your will, in the due course of time, and in the divinely appropriate way, I will convict them. And I will call them. And I will draw them infallibly, irrevocably into this love. And though stained with sin they be, their spirits will be quickened. And I will erase from them every lie of the world. They will come to you to which the Son would respond. I will take them for my own. I will create the universe and enter into it myself and finally become one of them and take upon myself all of the debts of the elect whom you've given me
and I will pay their penalty. And I will be their atonement. I will be perfectly obedient to your eternal and divine law and take all of the punishment of the law upon myself so that they may be redeemed and be mine forever. And then I will take life back to myself and give them that life and forever they shall be with us. That's a crude summary of the eternal covenant that's taught in the Bible. Now look at this. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. I couldn't have understood all of this the day I was saved. I still don't understand it. I have one grace that I can, one word that I can apply to, that's the word grace. Undeserved merit. And I cannot help but love him and praise him. And in my best way, try to be obedient. And when I stumble and fall, run back to him. Because I know that he will forgive me. I'm his. And he is mine. Will come to me. And the one coming to me, I will never cast out. Let me tell you this. Here's the Greek. Okay, that's a me u me. That's a triple negative. I've always called that that's a triple negative. Me u me. No, not never. That's the Son of God saying that. It's okay to use that kind of language in the Greek text. It's it's the Koine Greek. It is more absolute than anything you can think of. The absolute promise of the Son of God. When I am called, I will come. I can't say no to God. Let me tell you, my daddy used to call me. You think I'd tell him to shut up? You didn't know my daddy very well. If you are his child, as he has designated it so, you will come when you are called. Period. The promise from his son. I'll never cast him out. Not ever. For I have come down from heaven. See, this is a divine thing. Let me tell you this. When God made that covenant... He didn't make it with man. There wasn't a man around when he made that covenant. When God made this eternal covenant, the Father made it with the Son. And everything in this universe has unalterably been marching toward the time of complete and absolute redemption of the cosmos, not just the world where we're walking. I mean everything. 
We are so special to God that He's going to make everything new for us when He glorifies us. For I've come down from heaven, not that I should do my will, but the will of the one having sent me. The Son performing the will of the Father. And the Father sent the Son. In that covenant, the Son would say, I'll become like them and give my blood, the blood of the eternal covenant. Now, I want to draw on a few scriptures and then go back and close this thing out. From Hebrews 13, but the God of peace, having brought the great shepherd of the sheep out from the dead by the blood of the eternal covenant, our Lord Jesus. This is 2 Timothy. I don't know why I was, my number two key must not work well. 2 Timothy 1 and 9. The one having saved us and having called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, having been given us eternally in Christ Jesus before time. We were given to Christ before time. I'm a gift from the Father to the Son. I know what you're thinking. I believe I'd take you back and trade you in, buddy. Grace, what can I say? According to his own purpose and grace, having been given us eternally in Christ Jesus. Before time. Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the essential embodiment of God, the great Godhead, did not esteem being equally identical with God something to be desirously grasped at any cost. That's why he laid his glory aside. Matthew 26, you've heard this probably with every Lord's Supper. For this is my blood of the covenant, being poured out for the many, for forgiveness of sins. God willing, someday we're going to get to John 17. This is his great prayer before his crucifixion, part of it. Jesus spoke these things and having lifted up his eyes to heaven said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son might glorify you as you gave him authority over all flesh that all whom you have given him, he should give to them eternal life. 
that they should come to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having completed the work that you have given me that I should do. And now you glorify me with yourself, Father, and with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He's about to pay the blood and cut that covenant and secure my redemption whom the father gave to him before the foundation of the world. Don't ask me to explain all that. I can't. I just know what the Bible says. And it fills me with worship and praise and gratitude that God did all of this for me. No wonder my life is called eternal life. Now, let's go back to John 6. We're going to close it out here. Remember, first of all, there is the coming. There is this divine work in heaven, and then on earth, it starts with coming. Acted upon, remember, in the passive This is the will of the one having sent me, that all he has given me, I should lose none of it, but will raise it up at the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone beholding the Son. Now there's the third word in the Greek, it's different. I have it underlined up there. Theron. To carefully observe, to analyze, to discern, and respond. This is a powerful Greek word. You don't just passively gaze at Christ. You don't just kind of glance over there and see Christ. Oh no. Something happens to you. And now you analyze, you observe, you carefully discern and respond. And here's the response. That everyone beholding the Son and believing in Him, that's a gift of the Father, faith, should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up in the last day. This is Jesus Speaking to the multitude, some of whom he has fed, others who have joined the crowd. And remember, by the time we get to the end of John 6, Jesus is going to say, you're going to have to eat me and drink my blood. And they start leaving him. Oh, man, that's awful. It is at that point that people swerve away from the Christ of God, that he is all you need, that you can't do a thing to save yourself. He does it all and it started before the world ever was. And we've seen it in the scripture. 
Behold, come, behold, believe. And it all starts with God, all of it, to eternal life, and finally to resurrected life, glorification. All for the good of those who love him, foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified, against whom there is no charge. Ever. I'm saved. I'm going to mess up again, I know. Because I'm still in this life and I'm yet to be glorified. There's too much of the first Adam. He's dead, but he's still hanging on there. And I'm walking around with a body of death hanging on my shoulders. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul cried in Romans. I'll tell you, only Christ, only Christ. This is why it is so easy to extend an invitation to come to Christ. Because I know that only God will save you. You can't come bringing any works or behavior or lineage or whatever. You can't come bringing any of that. You just come because he calls. Because he calls. I was a little kid one time. I thought I was hidden, but I was not. And I was eating dirt. It looked like cocoa or something, you know, so. There's bound to be something good about it. My mother told my daddy. My daddy came to the screen door. And he called me. Let me tell you something. I didn't have time to clean up. I didn't have time to gargle and spit the mud out of my mouth. Dirty hands. Muddy clothes, dirty mouth. He called and I came. And you know what he did? He cleaned me up. He cleaned me up. He whipped me. <laughs> but he cleaned me up. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And He came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Perhaps you're here today without Christ and you would come to Christ. It is the call of God and nothing else that can draw your interest through the conviction of sin and the desire for salvation. Only God can do that. The world will not do that. Only God. Then you can come to Christ today. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian. But you've never been baptized and you need to be obedient to the command of our Lord Jesus. It's a great testimony. 
Maybe you have that need in your life. Or maybe as a Christian, you need to come and plant your life in this church. The invitation is open for you. And here's how we do that. We have deacons and their wives in rooms right across the hall as you exit. And you'll see them. If any or all of these things are on your heart, step in. The deacons will speak to you and pray with you about it. And we'll take care of all of those details. If that's what God wants in your life.